Hello and welcome to Deep Dive, a podcast in which we fill the room with hot air and hope it doesn't ruin the planet. I'm Oscar Boyd. This week, we're talking about the climate emergency facing us all. With the G20 summit being hosted in Osaka at the end of June, and Prime Minister Shinzo Abe pledging at Davos to put climate change at the top of the G20's agenda, Japan is in a unique position to offer leadership on the issue. But, at the same time, the country faces international criticism for its plans to build new coal plants to meet future energy needs and for funding coal projects abroad. It is the only G7 country to do so. So, on today's episode we ask, where is Japan lagging behind others in regards to climate change? And what are the opportunities for the country to take the lead? To discuss the issue, I'm joined by Pelin Zorlu, a senior associate at the independent climate change think tank E3G. So, Pelin, how has the climate change agenda shifted in recent months? We are now um, in a state of climate emergency. Last year, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change published their latest report, which basically told us that we've got 12 years to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees uh, by the end of the century. And what happens if we don't do that? Um, We are facing catastrophic um, damage to the climate and to human livelihoods um, and human lives. We are currently heading towards three degrees or more global warming um, unless we act faster. I've been in this um, sort of climate climate policy uh, field for nearly 15 years. Um, you know, I've always heard this um, argument uh, whether we should mitigate or whether we should adapt. Um, but as the science got more certain on the impacts of climate change, basically we cannot adapt our way out or, or to uh, three or four degrees warmer world. Many places in the world um, will experience uh, catastrophic damages and will become inhabitable. And some some places like uh, island nations will cease to exist. And so, so what kind of examples around the world have we seen of this uh, increase in urgency? Um, you might be aware of um, school school children's strikes. Every Friday, thousands of teenagers leave classrooms in Belgium, Germany, France, Australia, and more to demand stricter climate policies. <laughs> I am here to say our house is on fire. According to the IPCC, we are less than 12 years away from not being able to undo our mistakes. I don't want you to be hopeful. I want you to panic. Nearly 1.5 million school kids have been striking every Friday um, across 128 countries in the world. Um, And these are the strikes led by Greta Thunberg? That's right. The Swedish teenager um, who's been uh, protesting on her own um, in front of the Swedish parliament. It's really inspired um, lots of other uh, school children to join. We've also seen a number of new social movements emerging. Uh, For instance, Extinction Rebellion Mm -hmm. um, has brought London to a halt uh, for nearly 10 days uh, in April. Protesters wanting the government to take urgent action on climate change have descended on the capital. They have smashed windows at the Shell Extinction Rebellion, which has brought Regent Street to a standstill this afternoon. There's got to be at least 2,000 protesters here. And just behind me, they've managed to bring down a pink boat, which is literally... Ago, a massive cheer. They've got the news that the British Parliament is one of the first major legislatures globally to declare a climate emergency. It's we are also seeing this sense of emergency being picked up by the governments. 
UK Parliament, followed by the Irish Parliament, have declared climate emergency subsequent to to the, the school kids, um, you know, climate strikes as well as extinction rebellion uh, protest in London. And so let's bring it closer to Japan. Um, what effects might the country see if we have global warming beyond 1.5 degrees? There are a number of studies out there looking at you know, economic costs, climate change. We know that Japan is very resilient to um, national level disasters. However, I think this scale of um, climate impact is going to be exposing, is exposing, as we speak, Japan to unprecedented economic, financial, environmental and security risks. Mm-hmm. Japan is a is geographically an island, but it is very well integrated to to the rest of the world uh, economically and politically. And of course, a lot of its cities are built along the coastline. That's um, right. So that obviously puts it at huge potential risk if there's a an increase in sea related flooding or sea rise. That's right. Japan Japan is um, is geographically an island, and most of the infrastructure, key infrastructure, economically, um, are also located on the coastline. So where does Japan? sit on this issue at the moment? Uh, What kind of messages have we been seeing coming out of the country recently? I think Japan has a major opportunity uh, to show show, um, leadership on climate change. Um, As you know, it's hosting um, G presidency this year, um, and we've got the Osaka summit in in June. Um, Tokyo is also hosting the um, Summer Olympics and Paralympics uh, next year. So all eyes are kind of on Japan at the moment. That's right. So um, and Prime Minister Abe has has uh, been quite proactive. He wrote an article on the Financial Times last year, um, urging other countries to show uh, greater action on climate change and join Japan uh, to, to take more robust action on climate change. He also put climate change agenda at the heart of its. G- 20 presidency, if you listen to um, the, his speech at Davos earlier this year. In Osaka, I would very much like to highlight what innovation does and how much innovation counts in tackling climate change. So he's planning to bring that up in, at this gathering of world leaders in June. That's what we hope that mm-hmm. will happen. And uh, we do hope that Japan will really grab on to this opportunity to, uh, to really push harder other countries who are lagging behind. So it's all very well, though, having these big landmark moments, uh, the country saying it's going to lead in certain ways. But what are the actual real targets it's setting at the moment for itself? Um, the government uh, has now consulted the public, um, uh, its long-term emissions strategy, where it's setting a vision to decarbonize, reach carbon neutrality as early as possible in the in the second half of this century. That seems like quite a vague statement. <laughs> um, I I would say it's a step in the right direction, uh, but if we look at Japan's peers within G7, um, UK, Germany, France um, have already signaled that they are considering a net zero emission uh, target by 2050. And that's also what science is is telling us. Um, IPCC report uh, basically said uh, if we are we are we have any chance of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees, we need to halve global emissions by 2030, with a Mm -hmm. view of becoming carbon neutral by 2050. So this recent draft long-term strategy has not been as ambitious, would you say, as other countries? I would say within its peer group, it's not not as, as ambitious as it needs to be. And who was involved in drafting this strategy? So the government uh, set up 
an advisory committee, which included members from the academia and uh, industry. It was a small group of advisors, and we understand from uh, a news article that phasing out coal and uh, ending coal financing was one of the key issues that was debated. However, that was uh, later on taken out from the recommendations to the government. The government uh, has now consulted the public. Um, However, there's been a lot of criticism around the process by NGOs uh, and Uh, and also some of the Diet members, um, the lack of transparency in the process and why these uh, recommendations have been taken out. I think it's very important to engage with a broader set of constituencies Mm -hmm. uh, in in setting a clear vision and a pathway. In, In any transition of the scale, there will be winners and losers, And um, so that's why it's very important for the government to keep public interest at heart of its decision making. One of the things I found interesting reading uh, some excerpts from the long term strategy is that it focuses very heavily on technologies which haven't really been proven yet. So Abe, in talking about it, has stressed the importance of hydrogen technology and reducing that to one tenth of the cost it is today and also heavily on carbon capture and storage technology, neither of which have made huge headways yet Um, and crucially it doesn't talk about eliminating new coal plants Um, is that a fair criticism of the long-term strategy i think there's a lot of good uh, stuff in the long-term strategy Um, definitely a lot more on renewables as a key uh, tool in our toolbox to 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 mitigate at scale and and we've seen that you know uh, Renewables have really picked up pace in Japan um, at the moment. Uh, you know, 18% of electricity production is coming from renewables. But yes, there's always a, a question around how much you want to rely on uh, existing technologies versus uh, role of uh, future technologies. I think it's a mixture of both. But we know now that renewables are cost effective in many countries and the cost um, has come down significantly. In many places, like including in the US, um, at the moment, renewables, uh, solar PV, uh, coupled with storage technologies, is much more cost-effective than, than burning coal or even gas in some, some states. While innovation is very good for future, I don't think we should think about innovation just simply uh, new technologies. It's also new business models. Mm-hmm. And that requires government to... Um, possibly, you know, put a carbon price or re-regulate. So there are a number of tools that the government can deploy in addition to just, you know, R&D spending. And what is Japan's current strategy regarding renewables? It is quite encouraging to see that a new legislation was passed um, which will help uh, renewables to be deployed um, at scale um, in terms of specifically on offshore wind where Japan has great potential the, however, the energy plan envisages um, about quarter, like 22 to 24% uh, contribution from renewables by 2030. And as I said, uh, currently, renewables provide 18% of uh, power generation in Japan. Uh, so it's not that much of a leap in 11 years. Exactly, exactly. So Japan can definitely stretch its ambition um, when it comes to renewables deployment at scale. You might remember the foreign minister, Kono, um, set up an independent committee on climate change as well to advise him on you know, what action the Japanese government can take. Biggest headache or biggest concern is probably the climate change. The seawater level is 
very high and uh, we are getting stronger typhoon, stronger cyclone, uh, heavy, heavier rain. Once in 100 year rain turned out to be once And in, in response to the recommendations from the, the committee, he criticized the level of ambition that Japan has and criticized going investment in coal power plants domestically but also overseas and really called the government to act much faster and at scale when it comes to renewables. Tell me about how the uh, energy mix changed following Fukushima. Because obviously nuclear was a huge part of the government's energy strategy pre-Fukushima. Then we had this huge disaster on March 11th back in 2011. um, And things changed quite suddenly. That's right. Fukushima disaster has clearly affected the previous plans of the government in terms of its mitigation and energy mix. And we've seen coal generation replacing uh, nuclear generation quite rapidly. And Japan is the only G7 country still planning to build new coal power plants. So what are some of the main challenges Japan faces in more rapidly scaling up the adoption of renewables um, in place of coal? Several experts note that there's a a need to significantly improve Japan's uh, electricity grid. Uh, This is one of the main problems about why Japan uh, is not scaling up renewables at a higher speed and why the costs of renewables stay high. Japan is restructuring its uh, power sector um, and this will hopefully create more opportunities for renewables to pick up at, at, at pace. And it's entirely possible for Japan and other countries to reduce their emissions while also um, improving or maintaining their citizens' prosperity. Um, so in the UK, for instance, in 2016, um, emissions were lower, uh, 42% lower compared to 1990, while the GDP increased 67% of the same period. Um, So it's entirely possible. Um, The opportunity of doing so is huge, but so is the risk of not investing with coherence and political stamina. Japan has the economic, financial, technological prowess, as well as the human capital. Overseas, there's been plenty of talk about issues like stranded assets in regards to fossil fuel generation. Um, Is that picking up at all in Japan? Are we seeing a shift away from coal, if not by government now, then by businesses? That's right. That's a very good um, good point. And we are seeing that actually businesses and financial institutions understand these risks um, uh, and they're acting, perhaps not at the pace that that we need, but, you know, it's it's a good start. Um, Globally, um, a report from AIFA, uh, basically mentions that over 100 financial institutions have already uh, either exited coal um, or sort of putting in stricter guidelines on on uh, financing any coal-related ventures. Um, and in Japan as well, we've seen institutional investors uh, such as Daiichi Life, Nippon Life, basically pulling out of coal-related ventures. Also several trading houses, Marubeni and Itochu, have updated their guidelines and have announced targets in relation to coal investments. Uh, So these are all very positive developments. Um, We just need more to follow suit. And second, uh, the financial risk debate is not a marginal debate about uh, among some environmentalists. Um, Central banks have been calling for action uh, on climate change. And um, in a recent letter, Bank of uh, England Governor Mark Carney and his counterpart at the French uh, Central Bank warned that climate 
change poses uh, a significant risk to, to financial stability. I think we're at quite an interesting time at the moment because uh, I think business is starting to lead in a lot of ways. I think governments are starting to lead in a lot of ways, but we're seeing disparities around the world. Obviously, with the Trump government in the US, we're not seeing a huge amount of leadership, but at a more local or state level um, and business level, I think people are really pursuing low carbon goals. I wonder what your opinion is on who should be leading this debate. Should it be the people? Should it be business? Should it be third sector should it be government i think we need we need action at all all levels and um and we are seeing this um through a number of initiatives i i can mention um so you know we know what we know that u.s government um remains very hostile to to paris agreements the united states will withdraw from the paris Climate accord, and we are seeing that uh, through multilateral dialogues as well as bilateral dialogues. Um, however, we also know that um, you know many cities, uh, states, uh, and businesses have signed up to in the U.S. to uh, to basically support Paris Agreement after Trump administration uh, decided to pull the U.S. out of uh, of this multilateral agreement. They created this coalition called "We Are Still In." Uh, and they set up their own climate targets and, uh, you know, incentivizing renewables and other other forms of uh, mitigation. So UK and um, Canada have also launched uh, an initiative called Powering Past Call Alliance. Basically, this is an alliance of governments, subnational governments, businesses, investors who commit to phase out coal uh, by 2030. So this is in line with science, and this shows that you know, we need a grand coalition of, of uh, interested parties. And are the same kind of movements bubbling up in Japan as well? There are some, yes. So uh, last year, Japan Climate Initiative was launched, which is, I think, inspired by the We Are Still In uh, movement. This is a great partnership between uh, different businesses and cities in Japan. However, I, I would say the, the, the level of engagement needs to be picked up a lot more. And that goes back to my initial point around the the way of setting a vision, a clear vision that is Paris aligned, requires engaging with a broader set of constituencies. This is this is a winners and losers game. And some businesses will benefit, some businesses will re- really need to change their business models to 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 meet these targets. We have I think a growing uh, voice of Japanese businesses and cities who want to take stronger and faster action in tackling climate change, and that voice needs to be heard. What kind of opportunities might come out of a transition to a low-carbon economy uh, for Japan? Many Japanese businesses are good at uh, building low-carbon infrastructure. They are very good in uh, building energy-efficient homes, um, and these are, you know, these, these are massive opportunities for Japanese businesses. If I have to give you a figure on this one, um, World Bank and OECD 
estimate between 90 to 100 trillion uh, dollars in investment uh, that will be needed globally in the next 15 years uh, to meet the needs of low carbon transition. So th- this is a big opportunity. So obviously that investment, it, it sounds like a huge upfront cost, but with it will come jobs and new businesses and hopefully more prosperity for people as opposed to just sunk costs in transforming the existing economy. Exactly. This is about creating the industries of the of the future. And um, we already have a very viable business case for for action. So with all this in mind, um, what can we expect from the G20? Abe's obviously got this huge platform on which he can really push the issue if he wants. He stated he will. What can we expect? Um, This is the time to scale up ambition and speed up implementing the Paris Agreement. Um, We have a moral case to act Um, which is also, as I said, supported by the economic case. Prime Minister Abe announced that Japan will host a a conference focusing on research and development, Um, also a a TCFD. This is a task force on climate-related disclosures, um, so TCFD-related summit. The focus on on innovation is, is great. We clearly need more innovation. However, I think it's also equally important to, to note that we already have the technologies uh, we need that are commercially available, so we really need to deploy them fast and at scale. According to IPCC report, again, um, we need to halve emissions by 2030, and most of the technologies that Prime Minister Abe referred to, hydrogen and uh, CCS, uh, will not be commercially available at scale uh, by 2030. And are there any specific outcomes that you'd like to see? Yeah, there are many um, outcomes that I'd like to see. Um, Definitely um, more countries joining the leadership group that is calling for a net zero emissions target by 2050. We have a perennial uh, fossil fuel subsidies, uh, you know, ask and commitment by G20 countries. This year is the 10th year anniversary of this commitment to phase out uh, fossil fuel subsidies. Uh, But we still don't have a roadmap on how to do this. On Japan-specific outcomes, I really would like to see Japan to step up its uh, ambition and solidify its position in the the leadership uh, ranks uh, alongside its peers. And the way to do that by, um, you know, signaling an end to new coal power plants in Japan and with a, with a view of putting in place uh, a transition plan um, that is in line with um, what's already happening in the market. And second, Japan really needs to stop financing uh, coal power plants overseas. These projects are becoming much more difficult to finance anyway. We are seeing many banks uh, and financial institutions already pulling out of the sector. Time is not really on our side. We really need to act fast on this one. Well, Pelin, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much for inviting me. You've been listening to Deep Dive, hosted by me, Oscar Boyd. Our guest was Pelin Zorlu from climate change think tank E3G. Subscribe to Deep Dive and find more episodes on whichever podcast platform you listen on. And if you like this episode, please do share it with someone you think might enjoy it. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Thank you.